Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. Welcome back to the show. Joining us now for our international news review, the world traveler, Steve Oaken, is with us. Steve, welcome back from Bangkok and points north, south, east, and west, wherever you've been. How, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Let me just say that Harry Styles, be kind to everyone motto. Clearly not something Hugh Grant follows. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Bring it on. Let's talk about British that. British-American cultural in, divide. Here we go. Little, let's talk about that in a little while. Let's start first, though. Um, we have got uh, a ruckus about AUKUS. Now, AUKUS, of course, A-U-K-U-S, is that $368 billion nuclear submarine plan um, where the U.S. would share its some of its nuclear submarine technology with Australia, the U.K., etc. Get us up to speed on just why this is turning out to be such a controversial thing, even within Australia. Well, on, on March 13th, you know, Prime Minister Albanese and President Biden and Prime Minister Sunak um, signed the AUKUS agreement, and that is where the three countries are going to come together. Uh, America and Britain will co-design and build the next-generation nuclear-powered submarine with Australia. Um, Australia will also gain uh, nuclear submarines in that interim period before these new subs are built, um, and it's going to be a lot of technology sharing and a lot of integration of, of the three militaries. And it is it is needed, and it is vital, and it's partners working together, um, some in Australia, and, and in fact, uh, Malaysia, uh, the day after, released a statement saying that countries uh, should refrain from any provocation that could potentially trigger an arms race. But of course, there already is an arms race, and China is in that arms race, and this is America, Australia, and the UK coming together. Uh, to counter that arms race. Should we be worried, though, Steve? Because Australia seems to be abandoning its traditional pragmatic approach to managing their, their uh, you know, similar to Singapore because of where they are, their proximity to the rest of the world. But this is them seeming to throw all in effectively with the Americans in this potential new relationship between the US and China. So Australia is. Is it too heavy a risk for them to do that? Well, look, I mean, China's defense budget now exceeds that of Australia, India, and Japan combined. China Mm. has built 12 nuclear subs in the past 15 years. China's defense spending is going up about 7% this year alone. So what is Australia supposed to do as China is putting more and more into its military as China now has the world's largest navy uh, by some measures. So the Australians have said we need to be able to balance that. So I don't think this is something that Australia has changed. It's, it's an Australia reaction. Yet there are some in Australia who, who oppose it. There are others in, in Southeast Asia who oppose it. But this is where we are headed now in the 21st century. So Paul Keating, the former Australian prime minister, came out and said it's the worst deal ever. Australians should not be spending money on this. Um, China is not a threat to Australia. There is no need for Australia to have nuclear submarines or even submarines that are non-nuclear at this level, etc., etc. Is there a case to be made that some of the partners in this in this relationship don't necessarily need this technology based on geography, for example? 
Well, I mean, look, I mean, Keating has, you know, he's a former prime minister from 1991 to 1996. He has a very dovish attitude towards China. Um, he, he has previously said Taiwan is not a vital Australian interest. That's a civil matter for China. He says there are no human rights concerns we should be worried about in China. Um, he says that, uh, that uh, you know, Australia should just be on its own. And I mean, and, and that's somewhat of an isolationist position. I think that is out of of step with certainly the current Australian government, no question about that, with the majority of Australians. Now, Neil may agree with the former prime minister where he said that we shouldn't be aligning with the UK because they're just looking around for suckers to create a global Britain after that <laughs> fool Boris Johnson destroyed their place in Europe. Yeah, so, I do agree. <laughs> so he may be with Keating on some areas. He's one of the great orators. I mean, in fairness to Paul Keating, he is one of the great Aussie prime minister orators uh, speakers of the 20th century and yes he he has worked for the chinese i know he's worked he's worked for chinese companies in the past and he is very dovish towards china but just purely from the optics steve of all the countries in the world you've got three predominantly white caucasian countries setting up this defense deal with the submarine agreement and so on AUKUS to stand tall against the chinese even though they're in three very desperate disparate parts of the world Optically, what is the Chinese and, and supposed maybe, to do? And maybe desperate if you look at the UK yeah. at the moment. Desperate and desperate. <laughs> Three predominantly Caucasian, Western-type democracies. How can the Chinese not feel as if they're being ganged up on? I mean, I'm just looking at playing devil's advocate. Well, I, I, I would say, though, okay, the, this, this AUKUS sub nuclear submarine deal is not in isolation. You also mm-hmm. have the Quad military, yes, yes. which has come together, and that is the US, Australia, Japan, and India. So this is not a Western democracy against China. This is what is China doing with its military? And because of China's size, because of the speed in which it is advancing, because of how aggressive China has been, China has militarized the South China Sea. China has engaged in military skirmishes with India. China disputes the islands uh, with Japan. So this is not in isolation. This is this is part of where we are headed in terms of of the competition between China and much of the rest of the Indo-Pacific. And so this is how do they best do this? And it's this integrating on on the Australians, the Americans in the UK, the same as you've got the, the, the coming together of Japan, India, Australia in the US. All right. We've got to move uh, forward to our next uh, topic, which is just. Simply put, it's just coconuts. This topic is just coconuts. And that is under pressure from animal rights activists. Boy, I, I, I couldn't even believe I was reading this. HelloFresh, the brand, will stop selling coconut milk sourced from Thailand in its milk kits in the coming months over, get this, monkey labor allegations. Um, this has got to be one of the weirder stories we've talked about. Well, it's weird and it's it's in it, but it, it shows the seriousness that that companies have when it comes to ESG, right? When it makes sure that their supply chains are ethical. Um, PETA, the, the people for the ethical treatment of animals, has documented where monkeys in Thailand have been kidnapped chained and whipped so that they are then trained to take the the coconuts off of the trees. Um, And so 
people don't want to have their coconut milk sourced from chained, beaten monkeys. I mean, it, it's just that's it's just that simple in a way. And so, mm. what has now happened uh, is that PETA has gotten this to to such a a high level that retailers like Walmart, Costco, Target, and Kroger said they will stop carrying coconut milk from certain Thai suppliers. And now you have a company saying, we're just, we can't trust Thailand. We can't sort, we can't investigate this. So it's out. You have to be ethical. You do not need to be doing this to monkeys to be able to get coconuts. This is the thing I don't get, Steve. I know HelloFresh. I know its reputation. I even know of people who have worked there. You're involved with ESG, with McClarty Associates. How does this happen? How are the supply chains not checked? Particularly when you're such a, you know, a flag-waving, proud, environment, pro-environmental organization. How does such a, this is not a small thing, whipping and torturing monkeys. How does it fall through the cracks? Because people don't look into their supply chain. Like these supply chains are very diverse. They're very disjointed. They're very fragmented. And so to do the job to go to the supply chain to make sure that the coconut milk is not being sourced unethically, to make sure that the women on the palm oil plantations are not being sexually harassed and abused, to make sure the Cambodian migrant workers are not being tied to fishing boats out in the sea off of Thailand to get the fish that you need for pet food. All of this goes on. Everybody knows it goes on, but it's it can be a cost to to make sure your supply chain is ethical. And so people just don't pay the cost because they don't think consumers are willing to absorb the pennies more you're going to have to pay for every carton of of coconut milk. And you know what? Consumers are going to change that. Governments are changing it, but... Consumers are changing it too. Yeah, and, and boards as well, who are required to have make sure that their um, that their companies are acting ethically. Thailand has approximately eighty percent of the market share for coconut milk in the U.S. and imported seventy eight thousand tons. So that's a big. There are a lot of supply chains, and I would imagine a lot of small farmers, you know, very small farmers contributing into this, which again makes it that much more difficult to to track. Yeah, right? and, and, and you know... Same with it, palm oil. Well, and part of the, yeah. the issue is when you have a commodity like this, what, what Thailand has now said is that they're going to put in new measures to prevent the use of monkey labor in coconut production for export. Okay, but they're not banning it for import. <laughs> so how are you going to know, well, this one was for markets export, this market's uh. import. So that's going to get to be difficult. And, and there is actually, you can go check this out on on the Ministry of Foreign Affairs Thailand Facebook page, because I watched it last night. They're interviewing a farmer who has a chained monkey picking coconuts, and he talks about how this monkey is like part of his family, and he feeds this monkey as if he were one of his own, and he takes care of the monkey if the monkey's sick. And so you get the cultural aspect of what they're trying to show with this video. But you still have the monkey chained and not being able to be a monkey and go free. Now, people might say, well, look what you, how you treat horses in the United States. Mm, look how you treat mm. oxen. Look how you treat cattle. It's so part of this, I get the cultural piece, which is why you have to be really careful. And if you're in Thailand, you have to know that, that what you're going to say is going to be looked at by an American c- consumer differently or a British consumer yeah. or an Aussie consumer, et cetera. Yeah. So just one final point on that, Steve. You mentioned there that eventually they'll have no choice. 
because consumers will force them. Is that necessarily true? Because the change is not happening as fast as maybe us upper middle class folks would like. Vast majority of people still want the cheapest eggs. They don't want cage-free eggs or barn-laid eggs. They want the cheapest eggs. They want the cheapest shampoos. They want the cheapest milk. So is that process of change going to happen as quickly as we would like? It's got it, it, the question is is it going to have to be cheap and ethical. But if you start to get bans um, on certain products, or you get driven by investors who say I'm not going to invest in those companies, it, it's going to come. So yeah, there's there's always going to be people who say, well, I just want the cheapest thing, and I don't care how I get you know from from the ground to my table. But th- there's going to be more people who do care, and especially mm-hmm. as you get people like your daughter and Glenn's kids who say, this is really, this is really important to me. It's going to change things. Yep. And b- businesses and investors, if they have that ESG mindset, they're going to be able to get ahead of this. All right, Steve, let's move on to fees, extra fees that we all pay. Sometimes you're dining, sometimes you're at a, at a hotel and have to pay these resort fees, whatever those, those are, or maybe you're going to a concert and you want to buy a concert ticket and you're paying an extra five to ten bucks just for the privilege of booking a concert ticket online. Massive, uh, this is a ubiquitous problem that is now making it into the, into governments and, and, and governments weighing in on these things. But President Biden, when he delivered the State of the Union, he used the term junk fees four times. He said, we're tired of being played for suckers. Pass the Junk Fee Prevention <laughs> Act so companies stop ripping us off. And you know what? As divided as the United States is mm. between Democrats and Republicans, more than 75% from each party uh, back pushing this legislation. It can get done. It's a rare instance where serious policy goals in, in politics line up. Just there was an example uh, where on Ticketmaster, The Cure, The Cure, you know, an 80s band wanted mm. to give mm. 80s prices for its concert tour coming up in the U.S. So four tickets, you know, for 20 bucks each. So if you bought a $20 ticket, you bought four of them, your, your cost to Ticketmaster, $172. Ridiculous. More, right? More, more than double. No, it's eighty dollars yeah, for the tickets. Right. Ninety-two dollars in fees. Got it. Got There's it, yeah. a service fee. There's an order processing fee. Where Ticketmaster says that our costs may be lower than the order processing fee. So of course they're making a process a profit. There's a delivery fee where they'll let UPS deliver the tickets, and Ticketmaster charges you more than UPS charges Ticketmaster. They just are just ripping off customers everywhere. And so this move to ban junk fees is is getting a lot of steam in the U.S. and I can't wait for it to come to Singapore too. Well, that was going to be my question. Will it end up in this part of the world? Because as you know, I bought those Harry Styles tickets. I print them off. I find the seats. I do everything. I pick the seat. I print them off. And I'm paying all kinds of processing fees when I'm the one doing the processing in real time. What and, could we do and, in this part of the world to change it? It's an electronic transaction. It's an electronic like transaction. somebody actually touches it. Just like when you send money overseas, right, through a bank, through a telegraphic transfer, and they charge you 50 bucks yeah. just to send money, your money, to even your own account, right? Nobody ever touches that. It's all electronic. Well, I mean, these fees are... 
hidden and they they only come later because it's in the business's interest to hide them sure, from you. Sure. And then you show oh, it's 20 bucks a ticket and then you maybe you wouldn't have clicked it on if it was $40 a ticket. Right, right. And so as President Biden said we're we're tired of being played for suckers. I mean, the whole thing that's the plus plus in Singapore, right? When when you go to the you say oh the dinner's $80 plus plus. Well, why don't you just tell me what it is? Don't don't put on the plus plus because the lower the price, the more likely you are to 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 pay for something. Yeah. I mean that's just how behavioral economics yeah. work. Mm-hmm. I mean and, and and resort fees or and oh. what you know the, the whole thing. I remember the first time I ran into the to to try and and, and buy something. I was like a, a you know a two for one sale, and they're like, oh no no, that's not in the TNCs. Mm. I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, no, the, the, the TNCs. And I'm like, huh? I'm like, well, the terms and conditions, they don't apply to you. <laughs> so it, it's, it's ubiquitous. This is a problem everywhere. Can we get the Singapore government lining up with, with, with President Biden and lining up with the members of Congress? Republican members of Congress are introducing legislation. One piece of legislation, the Fly Together Act, bans airlines for charging parents fees to sit with their kids. Mm. Should be be common sense. We shouldn't need legislation yeah. for this. The Republicans are behind this. President Biden is behind this. I think the Singapore government, regardless of your party, <laughs> should be doing the same junk fee thing. I'm with here. you. 100%. Right. I'm with you. That, right. I like the idea of behavioral economics. Just yeah. charge us what it is. The, the face, the charge on the cover, oh. that's it. Nothing hidden, you, nothing extra. You, know, you go to a hotel and it's the, it's, the, it's the room rate and then a triple plus plus. <laughs> right? Right. Like easily, you know, 20, 30 percent more. You could be a third more of what yeah. you're paying for the room just for these resort fees for the what does that even mean? You know, what is a resort fee? Well, I'm looking at American stuff now and it's just crazy. You can almost double the room rate once you've added, added in those yeah. extras. Yeah. And, I, and, and this is and, and, it, and it really impacts, especially in an inflationary era when when people's budgets are tight. You know, this really this discretionary type of spending really matters. And so you need to be able to want to be able to help consumers. And, you know, people at the White House said they have never recalled a new policy push taking shape in generating such widespread public approval so fast. So you have policy and politics lining up. Mm. It, it really helps people. So this isn't, you know, some small ball, you know, stuff. No. This is this is important when it comes to people who, are, who, who you know, say, hey, I'm saving up to go to a Harry Styles concert. I'm stay, saving up for a nice meal. Tell them what it's going to cost up front. All right. We got two minutes left to talk about Hugh Grant. At the, <laughs> it's not enough. It's at, not the, enough. at the Academy Awards, uh, he did this red carpet interview that some people thought, well, he's just being him, and other people thought he was rude. Um, the questions he answered, the way he answered them, Google it and watch it for yourself. It's all over the Internet. Uh, what's your take on that, Steve? Was he being rude or was he just being British? Well, I think he was, having sat next to Neil for hundreds of times, <laughs> he was being British. And uh, so, but don't be British if you're going to come to the United States and then, and then be on the, the, the red carpet. You could just skip it. You're expected if you are going up there to be nice, right? So when somebody asks you, right, are you excited? Who are you excited to see win? And he says, no one in particular, <laughs> which might be laugh, right? Says, well, of course it made you laugh, right? And, and because you're British, yeah. right? He said, "What 
what designer are you wearing? Just my suit. Uh, well, who made it? Oh, my tailor. Uh, how did you like being in the new movie, Glass Onion Knives Out? Well, I'm barely in it. I'm Which only is in true. it for about three seconds. But don't go up and say this. That's thing. the key. That's the key. And, and where I did find it to be completely overly pretentious is where he – they asked him, you know, what's your favorite thing about attending the Oscars? And he said the whole of humanity is here. It's Vanity Fair. Well, yeah, of course, you Brit is referring to this 19th century novel where the American is going to be thinking about the Vanity Fair magazine party. <laughs> so really, you're going to go there with a Vanity Fair reference. You know she's not going to get <laughs> That's where it crossed line for me. And I don't need, well, Neil might have gone there, too. Neil, I don't know if Neil ten, You got there. a 10-second rebuttal. It's so go. good you Americans are not sensitive about it. <laughs> and you have such a great sense I, of humor. Look, I, I, get the, I get the being droll and all that. I just thought he was unnecessarily unhelpful and a little bit mean. Okay. That's in, all. In two seconds, the... I agree with Steve. The mistake was made. He shouldn't have been offered the microphone and he shouldn't have taken it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's the simple, simple answer to that. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.